The Athletic. Welcome to the Race IndyCar podcast. Every time we do a top 10 on this podcast, it seems some Alex Polonius has to break. Seems that it's a, a prerequisite now. So I'm here for, now we've kind of given you a bit of a spoiler. This is our top 10 drivers of the year episode. Alongside me is JR Hildebrand. We've both ranked our top 10 drivers of, drivers of the season. And in a few moments, we're going to break them down as we traditionally do now. I quite like that we've got traditions now. The podcast has been going long enough that we have things that we do regularly. It's nice. JR, I hope you're well. A uh, bit of bit of news breaking this week with Alex Pillow. I have to say I was, um, uh, I was kind of ready and prepared the night before with the news that Alex was going to test for McLaren. Kind of, had, kind of knew that was going to happen. And we kind of teased on on the podcast uh, that we felt like a, a kind of reconciliation between Polo and Ganassi seemed a bit more likely, but I definitely wasn't expecting that announcement at that time. So that was a bit of a, a gazump there that uh, kept me busy on that uh, particular morning. But now we have a resolution. We have Alex Polo returning to the number 10 Chip Ganassi racing car next season, while also being able to test for McLaren at the same time. So JR, in a roundabout way, after a lot of kind of pointless money being spent and a lot of back and two going on, Alex has kind of got all of all of the things he wanted in a way. I mean, he's obviously not got the the full-time move to McLaren, but he gets to keep a competitive IndyCar seat that he won the championship in and also gets to do his, his F1 testing. So I guess this is kind of the best scenario that could have come out of this for Alex Pillow, given everything that's happened since that announcement day. Yeah, I think I think this is the best realistic scenario that in his in his situation, right? Like, yeah, he's he's at a spot where realistically he's not in the frame for getting an F one seat, getting an F one drive for next year. So, at least in the short term, for whatever that looks like for him, I think the ambition has to just be to get in the car, and so he's getting that out of out of the deal. He'll get a feel for it. It can inform how he wants to think about that going forward and his positioning and strategy around that going forward. I think that I think that this happening the way that it did is a mixture of everybody being surprisingly sane in terms of their <laughs> negotiating tactics. And and I think I, I, it's, it's worth saying that it's impressive to me that that's what's ended up happening here. I think it speaks to everybody who's involved for this to turn out the way that it did, that cooler heads have prevailed i think across the board alex alex is ending up getting i think uh leveled up i guess you could say just in terms of his situation compared to where he was previously he's you know used this whether intentionally or not to kind of flex what muscle he has here in in terms of his skill and and value and and all of that um Chip Ganassi Racing has sort of held firm, but obviously been willing to make some concessions here to get their guy back. And that shows, I think, to me, a, a very firm commitment to winning above all else. They just decided that we want our guy back because he's our best shot to go win races and win championships. And they've, on what, you know, regardless of the timeline of exactly how that's shaked out, shaken out here, um, that's. That ultimately has to be the what you take away from this in terms of Ganassi's positioning. And I, I think in terms of McLaren's case, 
I think it speaks to a little bit of the fact that there isn't a, a tremendous and longstanding F1 opportunity that's actually on offer here. Um, they've gotten caught up in uh, in this whole thing, maybe deeper than they wanted to in the first place. I think that that was at least how a lot of the comments throughout the process of this read. Like, hey, we didn't, we actually weren't trying to cause this massive disruption in this whole thing. We thought this was uh, an available opportunity, and I think that there's also an element of. I don't. We don't know the exact time. Well, maybe you do. I don't. I don't know the timing of um, when they had to be able to pull the trigger on Felix to re-up him for next year in his current contract. Maybe without having to renegotiate that. But I, you got to figure that that's a factor in all of this as well. In terms, of, you know, Alex's test wanting to get ahead of, get ahead of that, needing to get ahead of. If this is if it's going to turn out for McLaren that Alex is going back to Ganassi and that's you know the the way the tide is kind of rolling at this point, then needing to know that they've got a plan B, the obvious plan B being Felix Rosenquist just re-signing him for the year. Um, so I I'm I guess it's a it's a combination of all of those things that I think have wound up for IndyCar fans with the best case scenario here, which is just in terms of rolling into next year with the most sort of structured and competitive programs um you know all all properly aligned i think that is alex being back in the 10 car and felix being back in the 7 and you know seeing how seeing how those programs progress yeah september the 30th i believe is the cutoff for, for felix so we were getting quite close to that in terms of making decisions and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I totally agree on this being the best scenario for all parties. Uh, we only need to look back at Laguna Seca and Alex Plo's victory margin over the field there to see, you know, that we're getting the, you know, I think everyone wants to see the best drivers in the best cars. And if, if Joseph Newgarden is going to start winning five races a year, then we need some, uh, we need some top drivers in the other teams to, to try and balance that out. So uh, I think, yeah, that was the, I believe that was the biggest victory margin since 2015 um and and like one of only two over 30 seconds in like the the in like the current like unified era so and with a caution like, with like 30 to go or something absolutely right? unbelievable so like what to, yeah exactly and i guess maybe a little bit worrying shows you know what they're capable of when you know you have to think that they kind of had a good idea that this was going to get sorted out that weekend and and that's what they've been able to do once that kind of monkey was off the back, so to speak. So that's very interesting. The thing I'm interested to learn or, or will be interested to learn is what McLaren kind of get out of this, you know, subsequent situation where Alex stays with Ganassi and they test him in an F1 car, but they've not got an open F1 seat for Alex. So it's it's not obvious, you know, blatantly obvious on the outside what McLaren actually get out of the situation. Um, you know, whether it's just a face-saving exercise for them to avoid this going any further or whether they think there might be an opportunity to go for Alex, at least evaluate him and maybe go for him in the future. But, you know, we'll look forward to hearing what Zach Brown's got to say about that in the coming weeks and months, I'm sure. In the meantime, you can read an interview with Felix Rosenquist on the hyphen race.com about him re-signing with Aaron McLaren at SP. Some of the things he's looking forward to getting his teeth stuck into with um, kind of a rare opportunity for him to, to have a third season with the same team, which hasn't happened very often in his career, not in the last seven or eight years, I don't think anyway. So that's uh, hopefully an interesting interview for, for you to read. And if you feel like the top 10 is not all encompassing enough on today's episode, you can go, to, like I said, to, to the race, the hyphen race.com. 
and read my efforts to rank the entire field, which was uh, a very difficult task. And I was glad to see most of the kind of social media response to that was was positive and thought that I'd roughly got it right. There was a few uh, a few people disagreeing with what I had to say, which I totally take on board because that's part of why the reasons why we do these rankings and stuff like that. It was great to hear some alternative alternative opinions. So if you did read that and you enjoyed it, feel free to to get in touch and let us know what you thought of it and subsequently what you think of our top ten today. JR, let's get cracking. We're not going to spend too much time on any other mentions or, or anything like that, but I think both of us just wanted to say that we were really gutted that we couldn't find a place for for Christian Lungard, David Lucas, those guys just done a phenomenal job in their in their rookie seasons. Two people we definitely really would have liked to have, you know, popped in our in our rankings. But as we found out with Marcus Ericsson last year, sometimes people have to miss out even though we don't want them to or they don't deserve to. So we're very sorry to those guys, but we're going to kick off at number 10 with Alexander Rossi of Andretti Autosport for now. Uh, JR had him at 10, I had him at 9. He would have been 5th in road course points scored if he hadn't have had points deducted for his Indy road course victory. So I guess that's something to take away. Uh, he was 8th in terms of his average start and obviously had a win and a pole. Uh, I guess kind of a feel-good story, JR. I think we've, uh, well, I won't speak for you, but at least I've been left disappointed with the the post-aeroscreen era, Alexander Rossi, and I'm definitely not alone in that. And I've I've definitely said this before, but it definitely felt like this year, we just saw some more of that peak performance, even if we didn't get the the consistently in the top five Rossi that we all want to see and, and we all know is there somewhere. We definitely saw more of that peak performance and the, the Detroit was was definitely Detroit was definitely a win lost for him in terms of that performance. Um, he was very very close to reeling in power at the end of that race, um, and then the win in the pole, as we've said, are, are obviously um, evidence of him reaching that peak performance. So um, yeah, I guess that's where I am uh, at with Rossi. Um, what did you make of his season? Yeah, I guess I think that Alex this year. Uh, it's it's again. I mean, I think it's worth noting that. We both, and I, I can say for myself, at least I know that you think this too, that we rate all of these guys really highly. Like there's uh, even some drivers that are not in the top 10. It just sort of seemed like, it seemed like in essence, we don't have them, you know, as a spoiler alert, we don't have the drivers like all ranked in exactly their order in the top 10 in the championship. We've moved some guys around and we'll kind of give you our take on why that is. But I mean, obviously this is, this is a good example of it that Alex was not 10th in the points, but that I think that this year it was a little bit more clear that these 10, the 10 drivers that finished in the top 10 in the championship standings were basically the top 10, the 10 drivers that were the most competitive throughout the season. Like these were the 10 drivers that you considered as being in the hunt for race wins, podiums. And there, there were others that were just on the fringe of that. Roman Grosjean, Renus VK kind of stuck himself up at that mix. Obviously, those were both guys that finished on podiums this year. Uh, VK with a pole earlier in the season. You mentioned Malukas and uh, Christian Lundgaard. I'd throw Graham Rahal even into that mix of drivers that definitely surged in the second half of the season. But just looking at kind of the total of the year, you know how guys ran in the big events, how guys ran at Indy, how they went, through, how they got through qualifying, kind of all of these things that just you know taking stock of how you reflect back on the competition level of the series and who were the drivers that were most consistently in that mix. This is that group of guys. Um, I agree with you. I think at the end of the day, it's hard to, I did, I did quite a bit of digging in terms of 
trying to rank guys within their own teams. Um, and Alex, frankly, particularly compared to last year, was much closer to Colton and, you know, in terms was much closer to the peak performance of the team. Basically, you know, last year it was a little bit more dramatic that Colton seemed like he was just in a completely different zip code, even than the rest of the drivers at Andretti Autosport. This year, that gap has not been as significant. Um, at the end of the day, Andretti Autosport just was not altogether great. Like they were kind of, they were inconsistent at best in terms of showcasing real speed, like top five pace and top five overall performance with more than one driver throughout the season. So I think that some of Alex being 10th is just because we also haven't ended up ranking Colton nearly as high as, as we did last year, um, that they both kind of had their hit and miss. It was kind of a hit and miss year for both of them. But, um, you know, I, I felt like we definitely saw Alex find a bit of a groove this season, absolutely kind of reassert himself and re-cement himself as somebody who is in this conversation and in slightly better equipment and maybe with a change of scenery and change of environment that he can more consistently get a little bit more out of what we know he brings to the table when he's at his best, um, that, you know, we can see him sort of back, back in the mix of the top five. I mean, he was, he was certainly, when you reflect back on the season, he was certainly in that mix of drivers much more often than he's been kind of of late. So, um, you know, he's, he's 10th in our rankings, not because he's, you know, not because he's not impressive, but frankly, just because it's kind of been kind of one of those years that it seems like he and Andretti are still in this retooling mode. And so it's going to be super interesting to see where he ends up, where he can find performance and then how he, you know, we'll get to Felix and Pato here in a minute, but like where he fits in against those guys now is going to be particularly interesting. I think starting next year, I guess the only thing I'd add was, I think he's he's quite hard done to in the points, Rossi, based on that Indianapolis situation. Because while I appreciate, obviously, the car was was not deemed legal, um, as as Bobby Rahal and Christian Lungard pointed out in their uh, Rookie of the Year press conference, that they were the the, the first finished legal car, so that they they feel like they won that race. Um, <laughs> for for me, I don't feel like any of that was really Rossi's fault, and he didn't get a significant performance advantage from what happened there and if he had taken the four points for that then he would have been ahead of Rose and Chris in the championship so yeah I, I think uh, all round you know just based on points he was the the. I mean technically he wasn't the best Andretti guy he was tied with Colton but if you if you allow a bit of leeway for that Indianapolis uh, situation then, then uh, he's just ahead and I also I just want to throw in I did a bit of like I've actually instead of having my uh scribbled notes like my you know John Nash style crazy looking <laughs> notebook I actually put it all in a spreadsheet this year and you know for the sake of basically like ranking ranking guys against where they were uh, uh, relative to their teammates throughout the year and kind of making notes on on you know what happened in some different races just going through the season and that Alex was, you know, one of the drivers that for sort of various reasons, I, I basically just started highlighting events where they had some kind of, you know, strategy got totally screwed up for them, or they had a mechanical failure, or they crashed on their crashed, whether it was of their own 
you know, doing or not. Um, and Alex was among the drivers that, you know, out of the season, I've got six of his cells highlighted just as somehow his race went sideways. And that was as much as anybody else in the top 10, he and Colton, both he, Colton and Joseph actually were the drivers for me that were all kind of in that boat of having kind of the most things, whether it was their fault or not, just go wrong over the course of the year. So I think that also affects that plays into your point about, if some circumstances have been slightly different, if some decisions had made been made slightly differently over the course of the year, uh, he might have been in a you know wholly different different kind of spot here in terms of where he actually finished in the points. All right, Jr. So in at number nine, Colton Herter. You had him at number eight. I had him at number ten. He would be he would be eighth in the championship where you had him if there wasn't double points at the Indy 500, which we'll just leave there as a statement of fact and without any additional opinion. Would have been uh, well, he did score the sixth highest number of points on street courses. Um, obviously, the win and the two poles, the win. Something people pointed out when I've written my rankings of all of the drivers as being, um, you know, some of the feedback that I got from positioning her to quite low down was that. You know, his win was so impressive at the Indianapolis road course in the wet, which is definitely true. Um, where, where are you at on Hertha, JR? I know you positioned him a little bit ahead. For, for me, I just penalised him because his season's not been anywhere near as good as we've seen from him, you know, in the past. And also, I felt like Rossi was just the strongest Andretti driver this year, personally. And um, that that's just kind of where I went with with where, where I ranked him. Yeah, I guess, I you know, I think that Colton now falls in a category of driver along with... Dixon, Newgarden, those guys that we've just, we've seen so much from him in the past, just in the last couple of years that you kind of have fair or not, we have an expectation that he's going to achieve at a certain level. And so you kind of, when that doesn't happen on quite as regular a basis, then it just seems underwhelming basically relative to him. And so it's no, it's like, you know, this is not indicative of, you know, we talked about this actually offline a little bit, like would I rank all of these guys in this order if you just asked me who I thought the best driver was or something? Probably not. Like if I'm thinking about where I think these guys all stack up if they're in a Penske car starting next year and they all have the same situation, it's not this order. But when looking at just their performances and their execution, you have to factor in their execution over the course of this past season. And Colton, I think, kind of had the most unforced errors that ended up costing him a lot of points. That unfortunately is just on him. He knows that. Um, you know, we've talked about this like whatever. Like, do you have do you care about that? Do you need to care about that? You know, if he's not really in championship contention, would you rather have a guy that's just like will occasionally show up and stick it on the pole by four tenths and blow everybody away? I, I don't know. I'm I'm all right with that, I guess. But when you're considering it relative to how they do in this championship over the course of the year, it just was, you know, it wasn't as special, I guess, as, as we thought. And, and that in the races, you know, last year I had him ranked super high last year by the end of the season, partially on the back of just an insane run of qualifying performances over the course of the year. Like if you did a little bit, like we talked to Will Power over his career, if you'd have stuck Colton Herta's qualifying performances in F1 last year, he'd have just been, he'd have won like half the races. He'd have been Max Verstappen, you know? Um, this year, it was just a little bit more, 
you know, pedestrian, I guess, from that perspective, you know, Colton was the, was the guy that qualified best on their team and finished best most frequently with seven of like half the races. Basically he was the fastest guy qualifying and finishing, but, um, and that was better than either Rossi or Grosjean, but, um, you know, he, he also, I think he also given what was available to him left a lot more on the table. And so, uh, that's, that's why he, is where he is here moving on to a guy that has made like a huge jump this year in just overall performance that I couldn't be happy for him happier for him is Felix Rosenquist, who, uh, I ranked ninth, you ranked eighth. Uh, he falls in here at eighth on our order. Um, you know, my, I'll, I'll give my quick two cents here, which is just, he did in the, in the battle between he and Pato. So the guys on the same team, Pato outqualified Felix like 13 to 4 over the course of the year. Like that's a pretty significant margin in terms of overall, you know, in in intra-team competition. That being said, Felix, I mean, you've got some stats down here. Felix's average qualifying this year was inside the top 10. And that's that's considering that he ended up like 25th at Detroit. He qualified all the way at the back at St. Louis, like a couple of races where at Detroit, it was just a strategic error on the team side at St. Louis, you know, whatever they, they didn't get the quality set up quite right. And it can really hang you out at a place like that. But, um, you still had to be just super impressed with what Felix brought to the table this year, a tumultuous kind of situation for him to be in, not knowing what was going to go on, you know, in, in kind of heading into 23 for most of the season. So I'm super happy for him that he's locked in for next year. And he had altogether just a a great season. It just ended up turning out that Pato was even more impressive in the same car, basically. So uh, that's kind of on my end. That's why he ends up where he is here. Yeah. I think like in, in a lot of this top 10 ranking, when it comes to IndyCar, there's, there's an argument for every single driver to be higher or lower than they are. And it's just so difficult to place them. Like you could, you could really put Rosenquist in at 10 behind the two Andretti guys. And and that would be totally fine for me. I would, I would totally understand that. Uh, it's hard not to take too much context into consideration as well. Like it, that just struck me while you were talking about Herter and all that he was able to achieve last year and, and what he was able to do. And I guess when you're ranking the top 10 drivers of 2022, you can you can kind of be slanted towards what the drivers have achieved in the past and and have that in the back of your mind and it kind of affects your decision making. Um, so I, I know we both tried not to do that and tried to you know just take twenty twenty two as it is. But when you do look at what Felix has been able to do this year compared to last, you know he was twenty first in the points last year and Pato was third and this year he was ninth in the points with Pato sixth. You, you pointed out the average start statistic really 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 much improved obviously um and the average finish he's finishing one place lower than just over one place lower than than pato per race so it's still not ideal and it's still something felix will look at and not be happy with um and and that's why he's eighth in the rankings and not number one you know it's it's obvious but i think there's a lot of improvement there and i think i've kind of given a bit of leeway based on the first four or five races of the season just really being a bit messy and not just on felix's part really it felt like there was quite a few pit stop errors or just little maybe just just like not necessarily always strategic errors but just little things not quite hooking up and and we all know that you know to win a race in IndyCar or to be in the top five you've really 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 got to 
hit all of those details. Like everything's got to be absolutely perfect. So uh, nothing, maybe not nothing, not not any major errors over the course of those, you know, first four races, um, but just little things that haven't quite hooked up. And I've, I, I kind of gave a little way, a little bit of leeway um, on, on that. And in terms of the improvement that he's been able to have and how close to Pato he was, because I feel like Pato was, you know, a, a really high level as we'll go on to, to discuss. We're not going to discuss him next though, um, because we're on to Alex Pelo next in seventh. Uh, JR, you had him at fifth and I had him at sixth, which shows, I guess, how highly we rank the drivers who are going to come later on because, you know, we've we've got Pelo in seventh and that's lower than either of us ranked him in the rankings. So that kind of shows what we're dealing with here and the level of competitiveness that, that is on offer. Obviously, he had the win at Laguna Seca, which we discussed at the top of the show. Uh, the third best average finish in the field and the, the second best, uh, number of points on street circuit so some little factoids to to throw in I guess just a a weird season where he's not quite found the peaks and didn't have the wins that he had last year to push him over the line in terms of number of points um, Road America was a bit silly I think um, you know being put I, I know it's, it's easy for me to sit here and say that um, you know four or five months later in with the benefit of hindsight but you know, it's quite clear that Marcus was coming there and that he needed to to give a bit more room and that ultimately he was the one who lost out in that situation and it cost him dearly. And obviously the spin at the Indy GP and the wet as well. Um, so just a couple of little bits creeping in where he's not quite been at the same level as, as, as 2021, I think, but still, um, you know, a very strong follow-up campaign where I think it just shows, you know, he's, 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 a, he's probably performing at a fraction lower than he did last year. And he's seventh in the rankings instead of being number one and the champion of the of the series. So I think that also shows the margins that we're dealing with here. Yeah, I think that I guess on my end, I I obviously ranked him a little bit higher. I feel like it's to your point. It's just a it, it's it's really just a, a comment on how good and how well the top handful of guys really executed over the course of the season and. You know, Alex, it's there's no question that he went through a bit of a dip from kind of particularly in the second half of the year until Laguna, basically. Uh, it's worth noting that among the Ganassi cars, he was still the best qualifier of all of them over the course of the season. So he was, you know, a bit like Colton, you know, in the same in sort of a similar situation in terms of the number of cars in the team. You know, he was he was the quickest guy seven out of the 17 races and the rest were spread out between Scott and and Marcus a bit more evenly. Um, you know, there were a number of races over the course of the year that he was the only only Ganassi car that was in the top like 15. And and more often than not, in those situations, he was making it into the top six. So just in terms of being able in a year that Ganassi was not quite didn't seem or, or at least that Penske made a step. And so they had some real competition at the top. Uh Alex was in some cases, the only Ganassi car that was really able to extract the performance out of the car, which you still have to, you still have to look at that and just think it's, it's super impressive. Um, you know, had, had his own mishaps at, at Indy that cost him spots after running at the front all day. So he ended up clawing his way back into the top 10, but didn't get the points nor the finish that he sort of would have had or could have had in, in slightly different, in a slightly different version of that race. Um, so I think basically just because he went through a bit of a drought through the second half of the year here uh, is, is the main reason, I guess, in my mind, why he's not further up, further up our list. 
For uh, comedic reasons, I also forgot to point out that with Alex Pelot at number seven, we pass the uh, we pass into the drivers who actually have more points per race than J.R. Hildebrand this season because you were you were ahead of <laughs> Felix Felix Alexander and Colton Wall behind you on points per race. So I just wanted to flag that up in case you hadn't you weren't aware of that. That's definitely that's like one of those statistics that that shows the the old adage that there's truth, there's lies, and there's statistics. The, de- right? the downside, the downside of that statistic is that you've been significantly boosted by the fact that the Indy 500 is double points. So uh, uh, our campaign, our campaign to kill double points at the Indy 500 is actually doing you a really good service this year. With. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm ready to go on record and say that I don't deserve double points of the Indy 500 for the sake of that statistic. So I think it's all good. All right. So we'll get on with it. At number six is our pal, Marcus Erickson. Um, yes, Marcus, we included you in our top 10 this year. Um, yeah, you have, I had him ranked just a little bit b- below Alex here in seventh. Um, just because I thought o- overall Alex had a, f- he basically just on, on pace, Alex was a little bit more competitive throughout the year. And I think that given, given that they ran similar seasons, one, one win a piece, you obviously have to rate the fact that. Uh, Marcus won the Indy 500 as a huge feat, no question. Um, but just in terms of average performance over the course of the year, it struck me that Alex was just more consistently on the same team, bringing a little bit more to the table in terms of how competitive he was relative to the other two guys. Uh, that being said, we're splitting hairs here, right? You had him ranked fourth. And I think that that's also a totally fair view of Marcus's year, just depending on kind of what you what you choose to highlight and, and really focus on. Um, I mean, he's asserted himself without question as a genuine championship contender. He's going to continue. I think he's on a path to continue to get better and better as the years go on. I mean, he's, these guys are both knocking on the door of, I think arguably the greatest indie car driver of this generation and, and, I guess multiple generations at this point now in Scott Dixon in the same car on the same team. Marcus and he were very close in terms of how 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 frequently they were the fastest qualifiers at Ganassi. Um, Marcus brought an incredible degree of pace to the Oval program this year, which I was super impressed by going back and look going back and looking at it. He was, I think you could make a strong argument that he was their best guy at Iowa. Uh, qualified off pole only to Will Power at um, at the other short oval, short oval at Gateway did what he did. We all saw that at Indy. Same thing going all the way back to Texas. Um, best Ganassi driver driver there. So uh, I think there's definitely some strengths in Marcus's game, and uh, you know that's uh, there's there's nothing nothing bad to say about it really. I mean, he had himself a great year. Yeah, I think we're just, like you said, we're splitting hairs. That's the best way to put it. Uh, I'm, I'm either, depending on how you look at this, enlightened or stupid. But uh, I don't know. I might, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and think I should have placed Marcus somewhere else. And then I'm going to wake up the morning after that and think I should have placed him somewhere else. So th- this was a bit of a, uh, I guess, a difficult exercise because, you know, we get the, you know, we, the, the 500 is so important in terms of IndyCar racing and just motorsports in America in general. And, I just think 
I know we've had a couple of those wins now with the the kind of snake in defence that Simon Pagano has kind of trademarked from from 2019. But I just felt like I don't know. I feel like it's been you know people have criticised Marcus a lot for for different things. I think one of them has always been that he's not strong enough in you know wheel to wheel combat. He doesn't you know doesn't hold his own as well as some other drivers. He could do that better. His racecraft could be better. Um, things like that, and just watching the last you know, stint of the 500 just shows what he's capable of under the most intense pressure, under the most difficult circumstances to to pull that off. Uh, you know, I'm not ashamed to say, and I don't think anyone would disagree with me, but I don't think anyone expected Marcus Ericsson to be an Indy 500 winner, you know, in, in, in the near future. And it, like you said, he's kind of elevated or helped to elevate Ganassi's oval programme in general. And his performance over the 500 was, was really cool. I think it's... His work ethic that he has with Brad Goldberg, um, and and his his work ethic in general just is, you know, is perfect for the five hundred in terms of, you know, just chipping away at things over the month and just being really studious and just you know plodding along. You don't always have to be top of every session to win the five hundred. You know, it's it's making sure everything's right and at, at the right time. And I know I've spent you know a minute or two talking about one race, and this is a you know, 17 race IndyCar season. So I totally appreciate people who, who don't like where I've ranked him and, and all that kind of stuff. But for me, I've just weighted the 500 quite significantly high. Um, and also I feel like there was quite a few moments where his season could have turned out differently for, for various different reasons. He had the the engine go and the Indy GP qualifying. Uh, Nashville obviously got kind of hit from behind, which looked quite, um, you know, quite look quite normal at the time when it happened and then it ended up putting him out of the race and you know yes he only finished yeah he, he finished 14th out of that even though he'd retired because of so many retirements and still scored quite a few points but it was still significant I think all of his street course races or, or most of them you can go back and kind of argue that he should have been higher up I think you know Long Beach will be the one that forever got away from him should have been a podium St. Pete he had the unsafe release penalty that Alex Blow didn't get in Laguna Seca that, that he did get in, in St. Pete and you know, we we spent the whole of the 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 I guess the the follow up after St. Pete talking about how difficult it was to overtake, and if you weren't on the right strategy, you weren't able to move around. And he went from the back of the field to ninth in like half the race. So just a, another really impressive drive, a typical kind of Marcus drive that goes under the radar and doesn't really get too much uh, attention because he's because he's ninth. You know, why would you spend so much time thinking about a ninth place finish? But yeah, I just feel like. With the with the weight of the five hundred and a couple of other races going his way, you know, he could have been a lot higher in the points, and I think people would be ranking him a bit higher. And I don't think anything inside his control affects that. So I've kind of just pushed him up a little bit, you know, based on that. So hopefully that covers Marcus off well, and hopefully he doesn't mind being sixth in the rankings. Um, I'm sure he'll let us know if he's not happy with that, and uh, he can come on the podcast and tell us why. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's move on. So in fifth, we've got Pato Award. So this is where you ranked in JR. You had him in fifth. I had him in sixth. Uh, part of my struggle to rank basically everyone, but specifically this kind of middle group, I found really tough to rank. Um, so I guess Pato's two retirements while running in kind of podium positions at Road America and Mid-Ohio were absolutely key. Would have been in the championship hunt for sure without those two retirements. Had two wins in a pole. He was equal best qualifier with New Garden, but had more fast six appearances and was the best driver on ovals. And that says something because obviously Marcus won the Indy 500 and got double points for that. And yes, Pato finished second, but also lost out on quite a few points to Marcus in that in that race. So still did well to to win on the ovals. And his, his stats on ovals now are just, 
absolutely spectacular. Like so many podiums in his, um, you know, his early run of, of ovals. You know, sometimes ovals, as you well know, JR, are something that take drivers um, a long time to adapt to and it takes some time to plug away at. And sometimes they just come naturally and it seems O-Ward is definitely uh, the kind of person that, it, that is, it has come natural to. But yeah, I, I had him in, I had him in sixth. I felt like I could have had him third fourth or fifth to be honest um and and that was mainly because i felt like he should have been in the championship hunt um and i also felt like in a two-car team with our mclaren sp you know what he has consistently done over the last three years has been impressive for that reason but also this year seeing the peaks of penske and ganassi still being you know especially strong to to deliver the performances he has this year you know for me that's another reason why they've been so impressive yeah, I think that at this point we're we're just I mean even even when you consider Marcus and Eric uh, and Alex below that the it's really just we we have these guys where they are so that we can like talk about how hyped we are about you know the the run that a few of these other guys have made towards the end of the year. I totally agree like Pato he could very easily I had a hard time not thinking of him being in the top 3 of these rankings basically. I mean, you look at his year okay, he he made a mistake at Texas that took him out of that, you know, out of contention there as did Felix. They were both running in the top like 3 or 4. Um but then you've got the Indy GP where he was running up front and was on slicks at the end and just you know, ended up completely out of contention in a race that he was running at the front of, the first first Indy GP. Um the two races that you mentioned uh, later in the season yeah, Nashville, he gets taken out in that whole situation as well. Ends up, ends up finishing way at the back. He was ended up 24th cause he didn't get far enough through the race to like Eric's, like Marcus was able to kind of like limp along there for a little while and collect some, some points. So Pato, I, you know, you have nothing, I have nothing but superlatives for him over the course of the year. The fact that he's leading this team, he's as young as he is leading this team going through all of the, you know, sort of trials and tribulations of everything that's going on at Aero McLaren SP and, and McLaren proper and and all of this stuff. It's a lot of noise to be having to cancel out that doesn't have anything to do with you, uh, but but is in your, you know, you're getting asked about it all the time at the racetrack. So I, I think like he is among the top, he's absolutely among the top five guys in the championship, just I think in terms of outright talent pace he strikes me as a driver that you could stick in any of these organizations and he will immediately be competing as one of your top two best guys at at any team i do think that arrow mclaren has made a pretty substantial step like i i don't think those guys are hurting for performance at a lot of places at this point so no longer do we have like the the kind of b team situation here you know going for them but um i I think ultimately just because he wasn't in championship contention at the end of the year is kind of why we don't have him higher up it's just so we can talk about the guys that were and um you know but like i said i mean pato pato pato's a guy that i i'm I'm not scared to say i think is going to end up at the top of our rankings at some point here because it is all going to click and it's all going to come together for him and he's with a team that's going to have the resources to put him in that position here for the next you know for the next five or six years totally agree um so with that being said next on our list is our buddy scott mclaughlin the first of the bus bros (laughs) uh the uh three wins three poles top scorer on road courses this year 
just a super impressive year. I mean, I, I think that Scott is Scott's one of the guys that we know that Penske's really good. We know that they've upped their game this year. You know, that's worth factoring into this whole thing. I think that's kind of why it would be it would be fair for you to stick Pato or even the Ganassi guys or whatever ahead of Scott McLaughlin here, just because on average over the course of the season, Scott, you know, was not necessarily like the third or fourth best guy or whatever. But all of that being said, he's the guy that is on the most rapid ascent of any of these drivers. And the speed with which that's happened is completely insane. Like, I just, I don't even get it. Like, I think it's, I think it's nuts what he's doing here. Like, it sort of makes me think that if there's anybody that should be like in the hunt for an F1 ride, it's Scott McLaughlin, not anybody else. Just on the grounds that he's gotten to this level in IndyCar so quickly. Um, He... Uh, you know, he's he's one of only a few drivers now that you kind of end up with the Colton Herta like just I'm a, I'm about to go out and stomp on everybody this weekend kind of vibe. And uh, I think because of all of that, you know, he's 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 where he's at here on our on our list for a reason and, and definitely deserving of it over the course of the season. Yeah, even even Newgarden, who had the five wins, but only one pole and McLaughlin. I know he didn't win from pole in all three of his wins, but he has had three three poles and three wins, and you 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 get that that build up sense from him. Like you start the weekend, and it's like, oh, okay, Scott McLaughlin's here. Like, oh, okay, he's on pole. Oh, okay, he's going to dominate the race and, and win the race. And obviously, you know, IndyCar strategy can come into play, and, and things can move around. And, and you know, it's it's not like other series in that sense, but still, really impressive. Um, yeah, I, I think. If I'd have got up on the morning of doing my rankings and had two coffees instead of one, I think Scott McLaughlin goes number one on my rankings. Like I, I genuinely think there's plenty of proof there, or, or backup, or reasoning, or whatever you want to call it that that you're you, you're well within your rights to put Scott McLaughlin as the number one driver of the IndyCar season based on that progression. You know how quickly he's taken to IndyCar, the fact that he's had you know two more wins than the the actual champion of the series in the same car. Um, you know, maybe that says more about power and, you know, how important consistency is in the championship than it says about, about McLaughlin. But, you know, without a doubt, if he hadn't have had that little, that little wobble around the 500 just before it and just after it, then, you know, he's, he's definitely much closer to, to, to contention at the end of the year. But, but then again, I've got to say that I think if he hadn't have had that little bad run, I don't know if we see the, the peak McLaughlin that we saw later on. I really think it took that that learning curve for him to to unlock what he's found in the in the second half of the season just because he's like a year and a half into his at that point he's a year and a half into his growth as an IndyCar driver and sometimes you've just got to make those mistakes to, to learn from them and you know to un- unlock that performance so yeah honestly I genuinely think I could have put him number one I actually put him number five which just shows you how um, highly I, I rate these drivers personally um, how ridiculous this rankings is yeah no no on, I think, both, on both of our fronts no I think I think I think I honestly think our rankings is really good I think we because I, I had text I had texted you the same thing offline I was I, I was not joking like no. I think you took it as a joke but no I, I was I, like I, I'm going McLaughlin one like I just like if you're starting a team and this is where it gets into the fact that we are building these rankings off of what actually happened this year, as opposed to what do we really think of each one of these guys or potential. Um, 
you know, is, uh, which is, you know, an interesting thing to think about. Like, you know, I, we, had, we had talked about earlier in the season doing more of like a power rankings kind of thing. Cause I think that's actually more of what this is, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's more based on kind of what's been happening. What's the recent momentum? Like, how do we kind of, how do you factor that into just the results that you're seeing? Um, but there's a lot to be excited about, about a lot of these guys that, you know, definitely just as drivers, justify any of them being higher up on this list at at a given time based on kind of what their strengths are all right we're back and we're back with scott dixon who jr had in at number three and i had in at number two which was quite controversial for people who'd contacted me on social media that i had dixon ahead of new garden after new garden had won five races and dixon had the two um and i i totally understand that and the the logic I gave uh, was, and I don't want to encroach too much on the conversation we're going to have about Newgarden at this point because I want to get to that. I want to get to that next. But on Dixon, I've kind of gone for what I think is important for an IndyCar driver to display um, and an IndyCar team to display, and I think power shows that that is consistency. That is the thing that wins you the championship, and you know, fundamentally gets you higher up in the points, and. That has not happened for Dixon in this case because obviously Newgarden is ahead of him in the points. But I felt like Dixon, with the Ganassi package being just just lacking a little bit to, to Penske, um, I, I really felt Dixon sort of encompassed more of what an IndyCar season should be than Joseph did, and and that is to take nothing away from Joseph's incredible run um, as we'll as we'll get to shortly. But I felt Dixon's approach was was a better approach and one that should have yielded better results really. And if it wasn't for the, you know, at 0.7 miles an hour or, or, or one miles an hour, whatever it was at the Indy 500 that he was speeding in the pit lane, that, cha- the, you know, the championship would have been wrapped up in, in Portland or before um, and, and things would have looked a lot different. So I know that should have, would have, could have, and, and that, that was Dixon's mistake. So he should be, he should be penalized for that. But, you know, the number of top tens, the guy scored, you know, it, there was two races. He was outside of the top 10 this year. And, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like if Dixon's in a Penske car, then I think he's, you know, we're definitely getting into shoulda, woulda, coulda now. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to cut it off there. What what do you make of, um, yeah, what do you make of Dixon? I guess we didn't, we, I should have added that he was a top scorer on street courses as well. Um, Ganassi having the top two cars on street courses. So shows how strong they've been in that, in that department, especially. Yeah. I think that Scott had, Scott had definitely had a, a rebound year that, that didn't probably for him didn't feel like much of a rebound year. It was just just in in the fact that he was more in the hunt by the end of the season. And I mean, not that he hasn't been the last couple of years, but uh, it was just that he was he was the contender at uh, at at Ganassi by the end, by the time it was all said and done. Uh, but for him, I think the thing that's the thing that's been impressive about it this year, and it's just a little bit hard to really understand how much it's affected their potential performance is that there's obviously been, you know, a, a, a high degree in his mind of like upheaval at Ganassi. And he's been particularly unhappy with where they were at. I mean, leading up to the 500 in particular, but even beyond that, there were some changes that were made. He's, you know, he's got Canon engineering in one weekend and then Simmons another, and there's, there's just all kinds of different stuff going on. So you think about just the lack of, consistency that he's got and and kind of maybe feeling like he doesn't have the same degree of support that the other cars have or 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 just in in actual practice 
not having the, I mean, not practice like practice sessions, but actually, you know, on track, not having the same number of crew guys as the eight and the 10 have. I mean, these are, these are things that are pretty abnormal for uh, someone in Scott Dixon's position, who's just a, a perennial, you know, championship contender. Um, so I think, you know, what's, what's hard for me, just looking at his season, what's hard to really figure out is how much of that, what, to what degree was that affecting their, like, how much was he overcoming basically in terms of what was out there? Because Scott, Scott had a very Scott Dixon like season, which was basically that he, this year in particular, even, even more so than in years past, really didn't have, didn't have qualifying pace with consistency was somewhat frequently you're seeing him like outside the top 15 or 15th in qualifying, which is just kind of like, man, where is, you know, where are they at? He had, they ended up pulling it out at a, at a number of places in the second half of the year, which at least I think helped vault them into that. But I guess all of that to me was just kind of on trend with it seeming like they were resolving some of their issues basically as a group as they went through the season. So, uh, you know, that, that I guess points to the fact that they were as a team not firing on all cylinders and Scott maybe having to overcome more of that than anybody else on the grid, basically, and still ending up in genuine championship contention at the end of the year. Um, so for all of those reasons, he's obviously more than fitting being in the top three. You can absolutely make an argument that he could be first or second or that with slightly different circumstances over the course of the year, you know, Indy not being double points, whatever. There's all of these kinds of different ways to frame the whole thing up. Um, I think from my perspective, why I maybe didn't end up ranking him higher than Joseph or Will was just because from Joseph and Will in their own in their own ways, which were completely different ways, um, you just saw you saw these guys operating at a super high level very consistently bringing their a game to the table and doing something that even for those two drivers felt um momentous like felt like wow we're really seeing something different and super impressive from these guys that I, that is not just the same old thing that i see from these guys every year whereas scott uh, you know i guess unfortunately for him like he cares at all about this kind of stuff but like unfortunately for him we kind of Scott just being the same, the same Scott Dixon every year puts him right in championship con- contention every year, and you know he's a whatever he's he's like a an Indy five hundred away from you know maybe being our number one guy, and that's probably talking about him the same way that we've talked about Will, which is basically just man, how impressive was it that he converted kind of often even by his standards like mediocre qualifying into top fives and top i mean how many times does scott dixon finish between like sixth and eighth this year you know um so to your point he's he's able to do that i would still argue probably better than anybody else in the field make the best out of whatever strategies available rip the lap when it needs to be ripped you know all of those things and and the team did a good job to kind of make up for some of that on their end as well but um yeah, I mean, just not the, not quite the highs without that 500, not quite the highs that we've gotten from the other two guys. Yeah, I think they're just definitely, there's definitely something wrong at Ganassi in terms of the road course performance. And I guess Scott has talked about before, maybe feeling like he's a little bit, um, 
he's he's lacking a bit of the knowledge that Alex and Marcus have from their kind of European backgrounds and learning how to turn a tire on for a more like the Indy GP, for example, like a more European style uh, road course situation. So that's something he's definitely talked about before and struggling to to kind of get the tire in the right window like his teammates. And and that showed because he was the worst scorer for Ganassi in the road course department of the the lead in three. So yeah, um, definitely some 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 road course things to 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 suss out there. And when you look at Penske one two three in the points on the road courses. Um, you know, obviously that's a really significant batch of points to to take into consideration. We should move on, JR. I'm going to pick up here uh, because we've got to kind of tease the number one, um, which might be unexpected or very expected for people. I'm guessing it's the second one, very expected because it's willpower. <laughs> but what might be unexpected is that we didn't agree on this and we both didn't have willpower at number one. So we're going to kind of discuss these two concurrently, JR, because they're obviously linked. So I had New Garden in at three, as I'd discussed a bit earlier with Dixon, uh, that I felt like, uh, well, I didn't. We didn't discuss this in, in detail before, but I'd said that I'd put Dixon ahead, and uh, I guess New Garden, you know, he had the five wins and so many peaks, but also just he just put so much pressure on himself to deliver this season that it just felt like it from the outside, it felt like an unsustain unsustainable amount of pressure for a driver to be carrying through a season, and. That's just from the outside. So I can't even imagine, you know, what that felt like. And I guess a lot of that is the context of Joseph probably feels like he should have won the last two championships. And, you know, if you look back at them, genuinely, you can make arguments as to why he should have won the last two championships. Um, you know, I think he's, it's not like he's imagined this in his head that he's the rightful champion when he's not, you know, there's there's logic there that dictates that he would have a right to, to say that he should have won those championships if, if things had have gone a bit differently. And I think he's carried that through, lost his engineer, taken even more pressure on it, having to remember some of the setups and, and play a lot more of a role in that um, sort of process. And yeah, just a, a bit of a crazy year in, in that sense. But I felt like he could have helped himself by not putting himself under so much pressure. And maybe he doesn't win five races if he doesn't put himself under that pressure and he doesn't, he doesn't reach that level of performance that we've seen from him. So maybe I'm wrong. But for me, from the outside, it just looks like he, he he did put too much pressure on himself. So I've got him at three behind Dixon. You've got him at number one ahead of Will Power, and I've got Power at two. So why don't you start by giving us a bit of an idea of why you felt Newgarden was you know ahead of of Power in the rankings here? Yeah, I guess I think that when once I really looked back at the season and I just thought, well, you know, we've spent we've spent a lot of time recently talking about how great we think Will Power's season has been. So it's it's in no way a knock on Will. Like I'm I am as impressed with Will Power as I've ever been about like maybe any driver in terms of the way that they've come into a season and and done and gone about their business basically. But I think that when you really just look at the nuts and bolts of Joseph's year, take you know obviously the five wins are a part of that. Um, he did not have, he did not have the same qualify. He was not the fastest qualifier of the lot of these guys. Will at team Penske was more often than not the fastest guy of the lot of them. So that's a, that's like a, a point that goes in Will's direction, but it was really just looking at the, the sort of dichotomy of their two years from the way that their races went basically over the course of the year. And, you know, it's it's picking out kind of small details between the two of them, but you look at 
kind of going front to back from Joseph at St. Pete, Barber, uh, later in the year at Mid-Ohio even, and then uh, obviously at Portland, just strategic decisions taking away like key points when he's qualified in most of those situations inside the top 10 and not getting basically just on, on strategy ending up counter to what the leaders ended up doing in a situation where they took risks that were unnecessary from a strategic point of view, going to a three-stop race when they didn't have to, when a bunch of cars that they were that they started around end up just running around and ending up at the front of the race. Um, you know, those were basically not things that happened to Will Power over the course of the season. You know, it's interesting when we talked to Will that he was talking about how uh, in the IndyCar series that often qualifying up front is not something that necessarily, you know, that sometimes there are disadvantages to qualifying like inside the top six, basically. Um, it just ended up so happening this year that Will Power's season was sort of his qualifying performance were like feast or famine. Like either he was all the way at the front and really legit and basically didn't have anything strategically go wrong for him when he was running at the front this year. Um, or he qualified at the back and like all the way at the back. And in every one of those situations, he ends up on a strategy that takes him to the front. So it's kind of, you know, Will had, I basically had Will at like zero instances over the course of the year where something weird happened, whether it was his fault or team strategy or whatever that cost him more than like, you know, a couple of positions or something in terms of how his it, Road America would be the only one that you could say they took a bunch of gambles and they just never paid off, right? Um, in Joseph's case, they were not always even situations that were the difference between like, you know, him finishing in the top five and finishing outside the top 15. A lot of them were he's finishing, you know, ninth or 10th instead of fourth or fifth where he would have been running otherwise. But um, that just happened a lot to Joseph this year. Um, so then you add in Iowa where he's dominant and has a mechanical failure. Um, you know, even thinking about the Indy GP where he's just out at the very beginning of the race because he ends up getting tangled, you know, with somebody that doesn't doesn't know that he's there basically at the beginning of that race. Like these are these are situations like the number of the number of times where he didn't score whatever the maximum points were that were available to him. Uh, given his race for, by no fault of his own was just really stood out to me basically when it was all said and done. Like there were a lot of, you know, he, he talked about the inconsistency of the year and it, I guess because it's coming down to these top two guys and it, it was, I'm sure you could go into a bunch of drivers. You could go into Alex Pelosi or you could go into Pato's year and like find some more details of situations like this where there's, you know, they missed out on five spots worth of points because of this or that. But um, I think that, you know, the the fact that Joseph was carrying the weight that he seemed like he was carrying this year and did have a bit of a, you know, I guess just for, for what you think about him, a little bit of a an intensity, if nothing else, that was seemed kind of extreme at points. Um when you really look at what he was doing in the cockpit of the race car over the course of the season, it's pretty incredible. And when we compare him to the guy that we think 
did really an extraordinary job among these other drivers that we all thought did an extraordinary job. I just had a hard time feeling like Joseph still wasn't better, basically. Um, when it when it was all said and done, it was kind of just a matter of circumstances in essence over the course of the year that that at least between he and Will, um, you know, made ended up making the difference. So then for me, when you then layer on top of that five wins that often felt like they were dominant, like they were just, you know, uh, they were going to happen. Um, that's that's kind of where I've ended up on this. Yeah, the five wins is really significant because it's constantly rammed down our throats and we ram it down other people's throats, how competitive the IndyCar series is and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, five wins has happened, what, twice now in, in a decade. So it's it's an incredible achievement when you consider the level of competition and the fact that, like, just using this rankings as an example, like the guy we've got in fifth, we've both said we could have put a number one in, in our rankings. Like, that's five drivers we all could have, you know, we could have ranked any of them at number one. And, and you know, this guy goes out and wins five races. You know, McLaughlin adds another three and Power adds another one. Amazing year for Penske. And yeah, just, it's it's hard to, it's hard to argue with you, to be honest. But I guess the championship is the the ultimate decider in, in my case. And that's why I went with Power. But it's, like I said, if we can put the person who's in fifth at one, then it, I can very much <laughs> agree to put in Newgarden at one. And, and that's totally cool with me. I guess Power... It's just been a, I guess the mental aspect of the turnaround, we've spoken about it so much now, especially in the interview with him. Definitely go back and listen to that if you've not yet on whatever podcast platform it is that you listen to. Um, in, in, the, in the days after he won the championship, we interviewed Will, spoke to him about his mindset and how that changed for this season. He told us a bit, some of it he still refused to go into any detail on, but some of it, he did give us some little pointers, which was very interesting, I thought. And uh, yeah, it was it was a, a really interesting chat. And as we said at the end of that podcast, it's it's one thing changing the way you drive the car or adapting to your teammates' data, but it's it's a total another thing changing your, your mental approach and I guess like not doing something that is inherent in like human psychology, which is like when someone says like, don't do something, I guess you want to do it. And it's like a feeling thing, isn't it? It's like someone says, when, when someone says, Oh, don't get mad about that. It's like, well, I, I am mad about it. Like that's how, I, no, that's how I react to a situation. <laughs> and that is what my, that, that is what my brain tells me to do is be mad about this situation. And you saying, don't get mad about it. It's not going to fix it. So in that sense, what, what Will's been able to do in a much more serious sense has been, um, you know, so, so impressive. Um, yeah, and yeah, I guess it's 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 easy to to see why you would put Newgarden at one. It it really is. I totally I totally get it. And if we're subscribing to this notion that the IndyCar series is this competitive, then the fact that he's won five races really, I, I totally I totally get it. I totally get it. But yeah, I guess the championship. And and even then, you know, Iowa. You mentioned, you know, that would have swung it for for Joseph as well. So it's it's all of these little nuances. Have you got anything to add on power, Jr? No, I don't think so. I mean, I guess I think that uh, he's, despite the fact that I didn't end up ranking him number one, and that was kind of a that was a, a game time decision on my on my end. That the uh, he's he's absolutely worthy of being number one on this list because just because of everything that we've talked about. I mean, I think that I sort of I I sort of elevated Joseph there just to be sure that 
we had a chance to talk about really, you know, we've, we've been, I don't think we've been hard on him, but we've, we've definitely talked about him in a different context this year that hasn't, you know, that's, that's been talking, you know, uh, reflecting kind of on his attitude a little bit, you know, more than just strictly his performances over the course of the year. And so I think it's important to to highlight that just in terms of what he actually, what he was doing in the race car, however he was going about it, um, was, was incredibly impressive, but that, yeah, I mean, will, will obviously ended up actually pulling it together. And I think that in a lot of situations that that was the result of in a different way, it didn't always end up with him winning the race, but that was a result of overcoming his own, you know, sort of challenges throughout the course of the year. And just, just doing that in a way that ended up with him finishing like third and fourth and fifth coming from the middle of the pack or the back of the field or whatever. And, um, I think the fact that he was so relentlessly in the mix at the front by the end of races, uh, he became a driver that you probably just didn't really want to see in your rearview mirrors, you know, over the course of the year, like, and he might not, he might not even be a pass that happens on track or, or whatever. He just like ends up ahead of you at some point, you know, because he's doing all the little things incredibly well. So I think he, he sort of took a page out of Scott Dixon's book. He had obviously, you know, we know that he sort of looked at what Alex Pillow did and how he did that last year and uh, just managed to piece it all together in, in an incredibly elegant racing season. And, uh, you know, there's, there's no, there's no knock, no knocking that one way or the other for sure. Well, JR, I think we've, disagreed with ourselves on pretty much every entry in this top 10 so i'm looking forward to the correspondence <laughs> from our listeners please do tweet us get in touch with us any way you know how i'm at jack benyon on twitter and jr is at jr hildebrand you can also email us podcasts that's with an s at the end at the hyphen race.com you can even voice note us to that email um, if you want your voice to appear alongside the dulcet tones of jr hildebrand and myself so if you want to do that, then feel free. Or you can just message us normally and we'll read it out for you. We definitely want to hear your thoughts on our top 10, where we've got it wrong, and maybe even possibly where we've got it right. I'm not sure there's going to be many of those, JR, but we'll we'll see. I also wanted to give a little bit of uh, Twitter love to Marty Triano. He, email, um, he didn't email us, he tweeted us. Thanks, Marty. Uh, I know Marty... Uh, likes to send in different ways that he listens to the podcast, whether he's walking to work or whatever it is he's doing, drops us a little message to let us know he's listening and said that he'd really enjoyed your element of kind of breaking down your mental approach and stuff in in reaction to the, the willpower episodes. That was really cool. Also, Chris Hoffman tweeted us to say thanks for all the podcasts this year. So thanks very much, Chris. We're not going anywhere just yet. So unfortunately, you just need to stick around a little bit longer and listen to us a bit more. <laughs> and uh, also a big thanks to Brian Smith, who earlier in the year coined our, our Alex Polo segment, the Polo Down. And yeah, I guess it's, uh, is it, can we say RIP the Polo Down at this point? Or is this going to open back up? It might be too soon to say. I think it's too soon. soon. Yeah, yeah. It might be too soon to put it to bed. So, sorry, Brian, that we're kind of temporarily putting your segment on ice, but we have given you a little bit at the top of the show and maybe we can find a different segment just for you to, to keep things interested until uh, Alex Polo. I don't know, um, does something crazy like, um, you know, 
a contract extension is announced and then decides he's going to another team. If that happens again, we'll uh, we'll pick up the plow down again. So yeah, that's all. This worked out so well for Alex. I wanted to see him. I think he just just have like a once every four months or something, just like tweet some crazy shit about like what he's going to do next and and see what happens. See if he can he can you know manifest some other dreams of his. Um, via social media negotiation. I kind of like this. I like this move. I was thinking before when you were talking about Pato Award and his like driving style and stuff, I was thinking you should have taken Pato to the Monterey Classic that you were at because like, I just want to see Pato drive historic stuff. Like, oh man. He, he's, he's, already, he's already basically driving a historic car the way he drives that Arrow McLaren SP car sometimes. <laughs> so why not chuck him in like a Shelby Cobra that Jimmy Johnson's going to drive? At I was going to say, I want to see him in like a Trans Am car yeah. or something. Yeah. How good would that be? So maybe a spin off podcast, if anyone's interested, is that we'll, we'll take the, the top 10 from this year and we'll decide what car they're going to drive in a, a made up event of our choice. I'm ready for that. Oh, I'm getting excited about that already. Then, yeah. What, which car? professional current or otherwise do you want to see each guy go drive yeah send us in what you think good prompt yeah 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 definitely and we'll definitely uh think about doing that over the off season although would all of your top 10 all be driving at pikes peak or would they be are you going to spread it out a bit no i'd spread it out i want to see some guys in rally cars yes now we're talking jail now you're talking my language this is what i like to hear all right i want to see i want to see guys in like little you know you know, front wheel drive POS rally cars and stuff too. It's not, uh, you can't just, can't just let them all go WRC right off the bat. I know. I think all mine might be driving an Envoy to be fair. Yes. <laughs> I want I got to save that for myself though, Jack. <laughs> JL has got to drive something and I guess I've got a co-drive for you. I guess that's got to be how it works. I can't drive. So you could, you could do it. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, before we get in too much trouble, <laughs> Thanks for riding along with us on this episode of the Race IndyCar Podcast. We'll be back through the off-season with more episodes. We're already planning some more. We've already recorded some more. So very much looking forward to coming back very soon. And we'll talk to you then. The Athletic.